the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Our daily three-hour tour. It is a privilege and honor to walk, welcome back to the show, uh, Dr. Bertha Madras. She is the director. Uh, uh, the director. If I could speak, it would help. She was the director. She is. <laughs> thank you, doctor. She is the director at the Laboratory of Addiction Neurobiology and a professor of psychobiology at Harvard Medical School. You would think in uh, in in the profession of talk uh, talk radio, uh, talking would be a criteria. Standards have fallen here, <laughs> doctor. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. Um, I, there's some other standards that have fallen. This is a story I was flag- I flagged last week and uh, hadn't gotten a chance to talk about. Uh, a new study just published by the Journal of Clinical Toxicology reports a nearly 250% jump in the number of calls related to marijuana use among 6- to 18-year-olds over the past two decades. Uh, doctors like you, experts like you, uh, Professor Madras, they saw this coming. They warned about it. I've been warning about it for many years. And here we are. And it's really sad when we talk about following the science. This isn't science that was followed very well, was it? No, of course not. People only follow the science when it agrees with their political views. And that's the problem. Talk to me um, and the audience a little bit about some of this. When we were debating legalization in Arizona in 2015 and 2016, I was going on all these news programs saying there's no way you can do this and confine it to adult use. And they were saying, but that's what the law will say. That's what the law will say. And son of a gun, I just hate to be right, but here we are. And we have a youth mental crisis problem, and a lot of it is fueled by substance abuse. A lot of that is fueled by marijuana use, isn't it? Uh, Well, marijuana use is is definitely very malevolent for young people, for the young developing brain. And we've seen a 15% increase in marijuana use over the past decade amongst young people. In some states where it's legalized, medicalized, normalized, it's, it's higher than that over the past decade. So it's a real problem. And this this uh, new new um, study that shows 245% increase in poison control centers, I think that's just the tip of the iceberg because we've already seen a 71% increase in emergency departments yes, right. uh, of kids who are coming there because they are um, in real distress. They have uh, suicidal ideation, they're vomiting, they have nausea trauma, they have altered states, that they have racing hearts and high blood pressure. And, um, you know, a lot of physicians aren't even aware that marijuana can produce these, these um, emergency-type symptoms, and yet they are. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. That's right. You have to talk to uh, psychiatrists mm. and ED uh, physicians to kind of get that story. Most physicians don't see it, don't talk about it, and most of the public 
you know, especially as you go into the public forums and as I do and debate these things, most of them will say, oh, you're you're pulling that old reefer madness stuff out again. The worst thing that can happen to you is you'll buy too many Doritos, right? That's what they say. It's not what the truth is. It's not at all what the truth is. As I said, and I, I will definitely reiterate it, marijuana is malevolent for young developing brains. It causes so many problems that that people just seem, seem to want to ignore. It causes increased suicidality. It causes uh, use problems with other drugs. It it can it's associated with more. Uh, Dependence on alcohol and on tobacco. Uh, it it has it's associated with conduct problems, with lack of joy, uh, it, it, sensation seeking. I can go on and on, but the it, most yeah. the two big ones. There are only two big ones that really should be a take home message. One is that the addiction rate is double that of an adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if if a child is used starting at, you know, around 12 or somewhere between 12 and 17, and they've used steadily for four years, they, they're 20% of these kids are going to have a addiction to marijuana. We don't have medications to treat it. Wow. We're talking and to it, a doctor. It, it, Let yeah. me just give you your uh, give the audience who might just be tuning in. We're talking to Bertha Madras. She is a professor of uh, psychobiology at Harvard Med School based at McLean. Sorry, go ahead to your second point. I apologize. Yeah, so so that, that, that's point number one. Yeah. And kids who are using now, many more kids are using daily. Many more kids are using more than once daily, which gives them an, even a higher risk much higher risk for becoming addicted than just the the 20%. And then the second point is that kids who use marijuana during their tender years are at much higher risk of developing a psychosis and eventually potentially converting mania. That is just not a... That is simply not what you want to happen to your child. No. And one of the interesting things that I think is also under discussed, uh, Professor, is the the impulse control and the tendency towards violence with youth. Alicia Finley in the Wall Street Journal last year did really the only mainstream story I had seen about marijuana use and rising school violence. That connection is pretty established, though, for those that want to look, don't isn't it? Well, there is an in, increased data on marijuana association with violence, and and uh, one of the most interesting things that bears to to my own research is that when kids are heavy users, they withdraw from marijuana. They have really serious sleep problems. Mm. Their sleep is very disordered, and that could that really could feed into mm. the violence. If if you don't get enough sleep, you really are no longer who you used to be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. sleep is essential, especially for teenagers. So I I think the whole um, the whole cycle of problems is is just it starts with the mar- with marijuana use and then it it spins off into addiction, psychosis, potentially violence, sleep problems, suicidality. I, I can go on. Yeah, no, the list the list is a parade of horribles. 
And as I had I had a guest on a couple weeks ago, we were talking about uh, the fentanyl crisis and, you know, the literature I have read on it. I'm I, I would not say that marijuana use leads to it, but it is an interesting thing. The more MEs I talk to and the more uh, people I talk to who are involved in, you know, the district attorney uh, offices around this state and around the country, they say that almost every fentanyl user did start there. That's where they started. Marijuana may not lead you to fentanyl, but almost every fentanyl user graduated from starting their path yeah. of addiction and drug use with marijuana. Is that is yeah, that bare to your research as well? Well, I, I know... I. Don't know about fentanyl per se, but I know about heroin. Okay, and that and and of course the heroin users fed directly into fentanyl sure. use. But in heroin users, it is at least ninety percent of people oh. who use heroin started with marijuana. Yeah, yeah. Marijuana use doesn't necessarily give rise right. to heroin or fentanyl right. use. But it is very hard to find people who start That's right. with heroin. That's right. Fentanyl. It's a look back test more than it is a uh, a prediction. Um, That's but, right. but 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 a good reason not to initiate uh, one of many good reasons not to initiate in the first place. I was watching a discussion on uh, television over over this study last week, uh, Professor. And one of the people said, um, probably of a more libertarian mindset, one of the people said, "Well, you can't stop." stop the uh, the normalization or the legalization of marijuana. Kids are going to use it anyway. And I just thought, well, why have a law against anything then if people are going to do it anyway? Um, but more importantly, right. more importantly, he said something really, I thought, quite stupid. He said, um, we, we, we regulate alcohol to those who are over 21, and yet kids still use it alarmingly high rates. But, you know, the reason... That there is a reason kids use marijuana less than they use alcohol. One has been legalized and normalized more than the other. I think the rates are are, are, are quite stark, actually. Actually, right now it's inversed. There are more kids using marijuana. Is than that alcohol. right? Is yes. that right? More yes. kids are using. Can we, I have to take a commercial break? Latest. Can you give me some thoughts on that when we come back on, as to why that of that would course. be great? Um, the 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 data you have is uh, is 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 ahead of uh, what I was looking at uh, from the household survey, but uh, we will be right back with more from Professor Bertha Madras. She is a professor of psychobiology at Harvard Medical School, based at McLean Hospital, and a director at the Laboratory of Addiction Neurobiology. She and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a uh, honor to have with us Professor Bertha Madras. She is, among other things, a professor of psychobiology at Harvard Medical School, director of the Laboratory of Addiction Neurobiology at McLean Hospital. Uh, professor, uh, first, let me let me make the correction with with you, or have you make the correction? Um, I was working off some data from the National Household Survey that showed teen use of alcohol was higher than teen marijuana use. You're telling me the latest is that that is now inverted, yes? It's flipped, yes. No flipped. kidding. Talk to us just a little bit about that. What well, causes and more, what causes that? more kids using marijuana now than alcohol. I think two reasons. One is that uh, it's easy to get, no matter what the legal regulations say, which are really visible, mm-hmm. because 
um, not only can, you know, an older sibling buy marijuana in a dispensary or in a, a retail outlet, but parents are using more and more. And so the kids have access to marijuana through family members. There's some space where you can grow it in your home. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, to think that you can restrict use from children is, 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 is just a risible goal. And, and the people who... The people who developed the whole industry, the profiteers, knew this ahead of time. Because right now they're marketing gummy bears, they're marketing um, all kinds of sweet drinks and treats with marijuana, and and they're they're literally targeting young people. I was going to ask about the edibles, if the edibles made the the access was made easier through edibles. It's it's much easier to conceal, it's much easier to carry, it's much easier to trade, it's much easier to deal. Uh, edibles than it certainly would have been the older stuff, and certainly more than alcohol. I suppose you're not you're not getting well, carted at a Seven Eleven, right? Absolutely. And the problem with the, I mean, the edibles make it very easy for you to use marijuana with within your house, and your parents yeah. won't know. Yeah. It's a very easy way to disguise it. You can bring them to school. You can bring you can use them in your home, your friend's home. And there's no smoke, there's no smell. And that's what's attractive to these young people. It comes with an additional set of dangers, too, I would... I, I would imagine when you think about the way edibles uh, work in, inside the system um, biologically or whatever the term of art you may want to correct me is because yeah. it doesn't give you an immediate high. Um, and so you can ingest it while waiting to get high thinking it's not efficacious, so to speak, and then overdose quite easily because you, you're, you're doubling or tripling down, huh? Precisely. That's exactly what happens. It takes a couple of hours for it to clear the GI tract and get into the brain so that the kids just eat one and say, well, I haven't, uh, haven't had any effect. I'm going to try another one, another one. And then it just compounds. It, it literally just swamps the brain. And what's interesting is that a lot of the emergency room um, mentions are due to edibles because they seem to trigger psychosis more readily than smoked marijuana Interesting. In, in, in young people. And nobody quite knows the reason for it, but possibly because they're getting such extremely high doses. Whereas when you smoke, uh, you, you get a feeling pretty quickly, and then you just don't smoke for a little while so that um, you can titrate how much you're getting into the brain. But with edibles, you, you can't. Once you've ingested 10 gummy bears, that's it. Unless you put a stomach tube in your, it's going to yeah. your brain. Yeah. And the and the potencies are, are are quite all over the place, aren't they? The potencies of the these potencies things. potencies are out of control now. There's no regulation. The industry is desperate not to regulate it because they know that the more potent a drug, the higher the addiction rate, and their profits are based on people who are addicted. You oh. know, it's not number of users; it's how many people use every day or five times a day the return customer that returns very often. And so they, they're jacking up the potencies. They're jacking them up in medical, in, in so-called medical marijuana also. And there's no, absolutely nothing in the literature that says that any, any 
pseudo-therapeutic benefit from marijuana has to be 20% THC, and yet that, that's what the average is in these medical dispensaries. Wow. There's just no science here, no science whatsoever. Professor, you've run into this, I've no doubt, when I talk to parents, um, particularly under a certain age, under the age of 55 or so, uh, a lot of them will say, well, my kids are going to do something, and I'd rather they do marijuana than alcohol, or I'd rather they do it at home than go out. Whatever happened to the idea of prevention? Are we doing enough with the prevention messages? None of this use is safe use, is it? It's not safe use because you never know if you're the one that is going to be triggered into psychosis or into complete incapacitation by marijuana. So even if you're not, even if you, you don't have an addiction, you can be triggered with a single use, the first use, into something that could have lifelong consequences. So it, from, from my perspective, we are not doing enough about prevention. We're doing practically nothing. That's, that's There's no sense. leadership in any politician in the country saying that this is is really a very malevolent idea for young people. There, we just don't hear that those declarations. We see the industry pushing back on all warning signs against uh, marijuana. We see parents using themselves in front of their children, and we know based on research that I've done that if parents use their kids, are three times more likely yeah. to use. Yeah, that that is a predictor. I, I think it's fair to say across the issue of, of, of dangerous drug use or substance use, the prevention message is lacking. I'm increasingly seeing signs in some of these major cities more and more about safe use, not necessarily marijuana, but even harder stuff. It, it, it's, very, yes. it's very dejecting to me. It seems like we're not helping people with this notion. It seems like this shiny new thing of safe use is going to not end well. It's not going to end well, and it's a political movement. We have to keep that in mind. It's a political movement driven by politics as well as profits, the two big P's that are really terrible for public health, which are the other two. (laughs) The other other P is just public health. The problem is that many... um, There's a movement amongst drug users now and drug advocates and profiteers that we have to simply reduce the harm of drugs that it's fine to use as long as you use safely Mm. without taking into consideration 200-year history of what we've learned about these highly potent drugs. Because in 1823, in the New England Journal of Medicine, there was an article on how to surmount an overdose to opioids. Mm-hmm. 200 years ago, we knew that. And yet, in the 1980s, the medical community began to issue prescriptions for opioids, pushed and prodded by the pharmaceutical industry that they were safe and not addictive. <laughs> you know, for example, OxyContin. So we're, we're going to have to relearn history over and over again. And marijuana history, it's different because in in the 1930s and 40s, it was only about 3%. It still had consequences. But now the consequences and the stakes are much higher because the potency 
efficacy is much higher, and marijuana is no longer a natural plant. It is not a natural plant anymore. Professor Madras, thank you very much. Appreciate your time, your scholarship, your friendship. I'm Seth Liebson. Thank you. Be right back. You betcha. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. As you've heard here, Turning Point USA is bringing America's biggest freedom party to Phoenix. It's starting soon, this December 17th. It runs through the 20th. It's going to be at the Phoenix Convention Center. And America Fest 2022 will feature the biggest names in the conservative movement. Charlie Kirk, of course, Laura Ingram, Kaylee McEnany, and many, many more. Also, great country music, great Great musicians of all all kinds, Riley Green, Chase Rice, Ray Lynn. It's the largest celebration of our constitutional rights and freedoms in America. As we often say here, reach one and teach one. Uh, I'm going to give to the next caller four tickets, four general admission tickets um, for you to attend uh, America Fest. And if you don't receive one of these free giveaways from this show, don't worry. You can buy them online at amfest.com. We have a special discount for 960 listeners. Just make sure to use discount code PATRIOT, P-A-T-R-I-O-T, when checking out. Amfest.com, and you get 50% off your tickets. But if you're the next caller now, I'm going to give you four tickets on the house. It's great to be with like-minded people. Just fantastic. Um Here's a, this, this came across my transom from The Federalist. I, I saw him here and there, um, and, I, and I was revolted by him. Um, Trevor Noah, you know, he took over The Daily Show from Jon Stewart, and uh, he's leaving. Um, he's leaving The Daily Show. Uh, he has uh, evidently ruined the franchise. I didn't think there was that much further down to go. But he did ruin the franchise uh, from Jon Stewart, reducing viewership to almost nothing from where Jon Stewart had it when he was the uh, creator and host of it. I remember, interestingly enough, um, one of the most famous things Jon Stewart was very proud of and preening over some years ago was going on Crossfire back when Tucker Carlson was with CNN and uh, scolding the folks at CNN for hosting a show like Crossfire, which, you know, reduced politics to simple polarities and basically becoming nothing much more than a shout fest. Uh, it's almost as if Jon Stewart didn't have a mirror. That's pretty much what he turned The Daily Show into, except only from one direction. Uh, only from the left. Trevor Noah doubled down on it, tripled down on it, quadrupled down on it. And as the story says in The Federalist, and I didn't know this, I, I guess I just didn't watch it enough. Um, one of one of his biggest targets was Catholicism. This piece says Noah's anti-Catholic rhetoric was so apparent that the Catholic League took note in a press release detailing some of the more egregious anti-Catholic statements made by Trevor Noah since the start, since starting as the host of The Daily Show, Bill Donahue, the league's president, said, quote, Noah will go down as one of the most vulgar and bigoted comedians in television history. Much of the anti-Catholic sentiment expressed by Noah amounted to jokes at the expense of victims of past abuse, scandals, or even about 
um, Pope Francis's genitals. That's a, that's an awfully hard sentence to utter. I'm just reading from the Federalist story. It, it, it makes little sense to me why someone who's in the business of a television show and someone who's in the business of attracting audience and attracting ratings it's 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 never been clear to me why you would be so unidirectionally partisan it seems to me if there was one thing Roger Ailes taught this country was that there is another part of America that doesn't quite agree with MSNBC or even for that matter regular NBC but beyond that to go after a religious group. Catholics make up probably about a third of this country. And to target them and to continually um, make um, make sport and shame them seems to me not only egregious but intolerable in almost any other context and with almost any other religion. Why, 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 is, it okay, why is it okay to go after the Catholics? Why is it okay to go after the Catholic Church so routinely and so uh, so 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 virulently. I, I get the jokes here and there, but why making why why making a practice of it, a pattern and practice of it, seems to me particularly um, just particularly evil. I don't have a better word for it. Particularly evil, and to the degree that uh, he's finding no more sanction and no more countenance from even something that calls itself Comedy Central, good and good riddance. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, why refi has an investment opportunity in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. It's a secure, collateralized portfolio that yields an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10 and a quarter percent. A due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI34. 888-YREFI34. I know these guys really well. They are great guys. You can talk to them. You can meet with them. They leave the selling up to me and Larry. They don't do a sales pitch. They just love talking about what they do. Bill is in Phoenix. Hi, Bill. Hi. How you doing? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Um, you were talking about The Daily Show. Yeah. Um, I used to be a big fan of The Daily Show. Um, and when Jon Stewart was on and some of the original cast with uh, Rob Riggle and some of the other people, um, uh it was funny, you know, and the thing about it was he, John Stewart obviously leaned left, but he would make fun of the media and he would make fun of, of Republicans and some of the Democrats. But uh, the good thing about him was I always enjoyed his interviews whenever he had people on because he would ask questions that were not normal journalistic questions, I think. And a lot of times he'd bring up stuff that was interesting that I'd never heard of. And when he handed over everything to Trevor Noah, I never heard of the guy before. I'm sure most of the American audience never heard of him before. And it was questionable because here's a guy from South Africa who's 
mocking American culture and American politics and American way of life. And it was like really putting off. I, I, I didn't. It was like an extra just, thumb in the eye, wasn't it? It didn't take me long to, to just dump it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, it, it was, you know, um, it, it, it was not even like, I, I bet you I, w- I didn't even watch 10 shows and I was done. I couldn't stand it anymore. Yeah, this uh, this over-politicalization can ruin uh, comedy, which is why a lot of comedians don't even don't even bother going to college campuses anymore. They just say it's not it's not worth it. Uh, you know, we we get into so much trouble when we go on to college campuses unless we ape the uh, ape the uh, the leftist woke line. That's one issue. The other issue is, you know, John Stewart has culpability for this because. He made a lot of news when he was going after Crossfire for polarizing America, and that's what he turned that network into, nothing but one great polarization. Um, I never watched CNN back then, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a famous argument he got into with Tucker Carlson as a guest on Tucker Carlson's show. Some years ago, I had experience with the game that Jon Stewart plays, I remember well here let me let me walk it back this way. Um I was watching Laura Ingram's show one night and she was doing something on an interview John Stewart had had done with someone I don't remember who and she said they asked me to go on all the time I'll never do it I know his game. I knew exactly what she was talking about. I saw yeah. the game. I saw the game up 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 front up close and personal. Um I went with an author to that show one time, a conservative author, John Stewart, was basically begging this author to come on, and his producers guaranteed that it wasn't going to be anything political. It was just going to be a straight interview on the book. It was nothing but political and had nothing to do with the book. And it was taped, of course. It wasn't live, and it wasn't live to tape. So when it broadcast about two days later, they had edited out Every time the author slash guest slash conservative had scored a point against John when they were debating back and forth. Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, people fair. don't that's... know this. Uh, and so I, you know, I just I know exactly what she means by the game. And that is their game. Uh-huh. You don't get that when you interview with her. You don't get that when you interview with it's 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 un, it's an unfortunate sign of the times. But that's how they work over there. Yeah. No, I agree. And uh, but like I said, the big question mark was why he picked Trevor Noah. Well, I think I think you know why. I think you answered it. Uh, maybe I said it, but I think it was an extra thumb in the eye to uh, to American culture. I think that's what it was. And um, uh, if that was deliberate, that's that's unfortunate. It, yeah, I, like yeah. I said, I used to enjoy John Stewart, even though he was, uh, you know, left leaning. Yeah, and, I get uh, it. Uh, you know, no, I because it. like I said, some of his interviews were pretty compelling when he would ask people like, uh, what's the financial guy, Kramer? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Mad Money or whatever. Yeah. About, Jim Kramer, maybe. You know, yeah. like you, you yeah. guys have a back room discussion about what you're doing. None of your you're pitching other crap <laughs> in the, in the, you know, <laughs> to the public. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know? there is a reason if you um, I, I love comedians. I love comedy. And if you go to. I don't know, Netflix or wherever you go to get your your specials on TV, if you don't go to them in person, if you don't buy tickets to go see some of these shows in person, um, there is a reason the top tier of comedians are the top tier. 
um, when you notice they they go into things that have political connotations or are you know uh, blatantly political, they score both sides. They they you know you may hate what they say and make fun of having to do with you know ex political issue that might be more appealing to conservatives. But 10 minutes later, they'll do something on why political issue that may be more important to liberals. There is a reason. Um, you see this a lot. I, this is, I think this is why so many on the left, uh, you know, don't know what to do, don't know what to do with, uh, you know, some of the most, I don't know, Bill, who would you say is the most famous comedian right now? Right now, if you think about, I mean, they, they just don't know what to do with them. Uh, and, 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 you know. Who? Dave Chappelle's a good example. Dave Chappelle drove the left nuts by not accepting one singular thing they made a, a, a woke fetish of or a woke religion of, which is the transgender issue. I mean, he drove them nuts. He got, he got banned. He got shadow banned. He got condemned. He got criticized. They don't know what to do with him. And it was particularly you know awkward for them because he thought, just based on their fetish over race, that he was one of theirs, which proves again and should have proven been proven a long time ago that race shouldn't dictate thought. But they thought it did. And that's why he was such a surprise to them. But, you know, you the, the culture rams down uh, your throats and your heads something so much that when a comedian takes it on and it's become sacrosanct politically, the left goes crazy. Um, but, you know, on and on we go uh, with this stuff. I see that they're doing every, every – <laughs> this is incredible. Cambridge Dictionary, this just came over to me. Cambridge Dictionary just uh, came out with a new definition of woman. Might make things easy, easier for Supreme Court Justice Ketanji uh, Brown-Jackson. Here's the new Cambridge Dictionary of woman. You ready? Quote, an adult who lives and identifies as a female th- – though they may have been said to have a different sex at birth. Helpfully, they give you its use in a sentence. She was the first trans woman elected to a national office, or Mary is a woman who was assigned male at birth. Of course comedians should take aim at that, because it's comical. Barry Weiss, you know, this is interesting on this this tranche of information coming out from Twitter. I was talking with a friend when the first, what, two weeks ago started coming out through Matt Taibbi. I was talking with a friend of mine about it, and it 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 confirmed a lot of what we knew. It wasn't super eyebrow-raising, but it confirmed a lot of what we knew. And, you know, those of us that kind of suspected uh, what was confirmed, yeah, our eyebrows were raised a little bit, and the mainstream media didn't pick up on it then as they're not picking up on it now. And he said to me, Supposedly, there's a lot more coming. And I said, yeah, I don't know. It, there, there is supposedly. It would be one of the rare stories, though, where the worst stuff wasn't put out in the first tranche. It would be one of those rare stories where the worst stuff comes in subsequent uh, releases and subsequent uh, news or stories. And uh, it is that rare case. Um, it got it, what, what we saw with the Schellenberger release, which came after the um, – came after what he gave to Matt to Eby was worse. What Barry Weiss is putting out now in the third series of censorship uh, against Republicans uh, and uh, and uh, COVID, um, COVID's, uh, what would be Great Barrington times, Jay Bhattacharya types, it's much worse than what the stuff Matt Taibbi was putting out was. 
you know, 25-year-olds uh, figuring they knew more than Jabot of Sharia. But then this, this, these, these little Mayberry Machiavellis over at, uh, at Twitter who were going about, about banning Republicans and finding any excuse they could to suspend Donald Trump, you know, it was just so indiscriminate. Barry Weiss just released a tweet that was never taken down um, from uh, Ayatollah Khamenei. Never taken down. You tell me if 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 Donald Trump said anything close to this or any Republican, you know, our stance against Israel is the one we have always taken. It is a malignant cancerous tumor in the West Asian region that has to be removed and eradicated. It is possible and it will happen. Declaration of of certainly a declaration of war, certainly a declaration of genocide. That kind of hate speech just ran rampant and without any skepticism or any questioning at Twitter, even when it was pointed out, even as it was pointed out to them. Yeah, I said something earlier a few moments ago was comical. Yeah, it's not funny, but it's comical. It's the best we can do. Don't go away. Brandon Weikert coming up. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 